How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 52 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, it's weird to say it, but we're back to business as usual. Um, after, you know, five episodes, you know, on the fringes here, we had the four-issue X-Men Plus Fantastic Four mini, and then we had the giant size uh, silent issue, and, yeah, now we're right back to the grind here with, uh, Marauders number seven. Let's hop right on in. Uh, Marauders number seven. Had an April 2020 cover date. The story's called With Emma From... With with Emma From Love. No, no, it's not that. It's From Emma With Love. Oy. It was written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. Colors, Edgar Delgado. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman. Edits, Robinson White Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. And this one went on sale February 5th of 2020. Now we start with our roll call, and it's an interesting one. We've got Callisto, who is also on the cover of this issue. I don't know if we've seen her yet in the Dawn of X uh, landscape, but uh, I guess we're going to be seeing a lot of her in this book. Uh, so Callisto, Jumbo Carnation, Emma Frost, Iceman, Christian Frost, Bishop, Storm, Pyro, Mask, the Morlock, and Sebastian Shaw. From here, you know, two pages of credits. Well, why not? Then we get an info page, which is a text message to Kitty from an unknown sender regarding Verende and drugs. Then, finally, comics. We open in recent flashback land here, where Callisto is approaching the White Palace in Hellfire Bay, where she'd, uh, you know, been summoned. Her, her presence was requested. Now, upon entry, she finds, uh, well, Emma Frost in kind of a state of undress. You see, she's in the middle of a fitting by her stylist, the recently resurrected Jumbo Carnation. Emma tells Callisto that she's early for their meeting, to which the Morlock corrects her, stating that she's actually two hours late. So I guess uh, time flies while you're trying on clothes, though, gotta say, all those hours I've spent trying not to look like a weirdo while carrying my wife's purse around a clothes shop while she's in the changing room, that tells me otherwise. That time does not fly. Now, here's the deal. Emma's got a proposition for Callisto. Well, actually, a proposition about a position. Now, of course, we have a white queen, that's Emma. We have a white bishop and Christian, but Emma's in the market for a white knight. Because there's probably a lot of flame wars on the uh, Hellfire message boards, right? No, no, this is actually the position in Hellfire Inc. Corp. whatever they're calling it. Now, Jumbo, to celebrate or commemorate this occasion, he forks over a long white trench coat for Callisto to try on as uh, he talks about how much he loved her during her modeling career, which is a really neat callback to the Siege Perilous era of X-Men, if I'm remembering right. Now, Callisto, Callisto slices the sleeves off the trench coat, that's 
That's a heck of a sentence. To make it more her style, which is a look that Jumbo, like he kind of swoons over it. He thinks that uh, it was just the just the touch it needed. And she trades him a blade for the, uh, I guess we can call it a trench vest. And Jumbo sweeps her into his arms to thank her. From here, we jump to the present. Now, Callisto is on Island M, where she greets the incoming marauders. Uh, Christian Frost is also there, and he and Bobby make out a bit. I didn't know they were officially in a relationship, but I suppose... I suppose it works in that old soap opera sort of thing, where it's like, we only have two gay or black or Asian characters, so they just put them together. Like that old soap opera trope. I guess it works in that sort of way. Though I, I don't know if they have an actual relationship or not. I suppose we'll find out. Now, Callisto tells Bishop that she expected them sooner, to which he asks if Kitty has checked in yet to uh, let home base know about their tangle with Donald Pierce and company. Callisto says Kitty hasn't called in nor shown up. Now, this is troubling to Redbish, uh, as he uh, as she should have been beaten them there by a day. Callisto then sets eyes on Storm, who isn't dying of a children of the vault disease, so that's good. Uh, she greets Aurora by tossing a blade directly at her throat. Storm catches it, and the uh, two old friends slash rivals embrace. Pyro thinks this is pretty hardcore, and uh, he's not wrong. He suggests that this sort of aggressive behavior is the reason why the Brotherhood were never able to best the X-Men. And uh, yeah, probably that and the fact that often, more often than not, the Brotherhood kind of sucked. That probably had something to do with it. From here, we shift over to the Verendi house in Madripoor, where the Hellfire kids are watching this conversation play out. You gotta remember, they got an inside man in the form of Yellowjacket, who is currently, you know, fantastic voyaging all throughout Pyro's bloodstream. Bishop tells Pyro to head back to Krakoa, and he'll double back to Madripoor. Cade Kilgore is pleased to learn that soon, Pyro, and, of course, Yellowjacket, will be arriving at Krakoa. And he's also happy that uh, they got a little bonus here. They now know about Island M, so that's a good thing. Uh, Kilgore then addresses the Russian ambassador, and I think it's the same one that we've already seen a few times throughout Dawn Hawks Pox Docs. And I think I mentioned, or probably mentioned every time we see her, that she looks a bit like Dr. Gregor from Orcus. I mean, they definitely have the same hairstylist anyway. Now, the ambassador is impressed with what Verendi has and is about to uncover and suggests that the government, well, any government really, would pay top dollar for such information. She also suggests that the Russians will create a leaner and meaner power-dampering dealie. Rather than taking up an entire suit of clunky armor, it'll now be the size of a sidearm. I gotta ask, why don't they just copy, like, the power-dampening collars that, like, every other villain on the planet seems to have these days? I mean, it's not that novel anymore, is it? Uh, Cade bids her adieu with a Verendi hand sign, which uh, which is kind of awkward. It's like you put your middle finger and your ring finger up while you close the rest of your fingers down. It's like a weird like Boy Scout salute, but far more awkward. I mean, try doing that. It's not as easy as it looks. Um, now, from here, we jump to the Madripoor side of a Krakoan gateway. And this is where the Verendis have staged a welcoming party for Bishop in the form of many, many mercenaries. Now... Saying his first rodeo so cleverly, Bishop doesn't just saunter through the gate. Instead, he drops a live grenade on the other side, which goes boom, taking out many of the mercs. He then dives through, guns literally blazing, to take out the rest. He's confronted by Hellfire Tot Manuel and Dookie, the white king of the Hominis Verendi. Manuel informs v- Bishop that he ain't scared one bit, considering Krakoans have that pesky kill-no-man rule. 
Now this weirds Bishop out a little bit. After all, how could Enduki know about Krakoan law? Bishop then proceeds to pummel the hellfire out of the kid, saying that there's no Krakoan law restricting him from effing up a man. So there's that. Though I am surprised that maybe the Marauders aren't exempt to that rule, just like every other X-team. Uh, now, in Manuel's pocket, Manuel's knocked out, of course, Bishop finds a letter about a boat docked at Madripoor. And next thing we know, Bishop is wearing some stolen Merc armor and readying to board the thing. From here, we shift scenes to Rio Verde, Arizona, where Callisto is meeting with her fellow Morlock, Mask. Gotta tell you something. As a guy who lives in Arizona... I'm used to comics writers and artists using, like, the usual Arizona shorthand when it comes to how they present our fair and barren state. It's usually a lot of cacti and cliffs, which, yeah, we've got a lot of those, but it ain't the entire state. So I'm going to hand it to uh, Duggan and Caselli for doing their homework here. They nailed Rio Verde here because uh, it's depicted as a golf course, and that's basically all Rio Verde is. So that's hats off to uh, Duggan and Caselli. Uh, back when I was... Uh, I don't know if I've talked about it on this program, but I know I've talked about it on the channel. I was a windshield repairman for a number of years. And back when I was in that business, uh, it would never fail that around March or April, which is known in Arizona as snowbird migration season, I'd have to drive out to Rio Verde, Rio Verde three or four times a week to patch up some glass before the folks split town to avoid you know, the hellish Arizona summer ahead. And it really, it's really in the middle of nowhere. It's a, like a weird oasis uh, in, in how green it is. Like, I think there's only like two ways to get there. You know, you can either approach it from the south if you come up through Fountain Hills, or you can uh, be way up in North Scottsdale and you can head east uh, along, I think it's Dynamite, Dynamite Boulevard or Dynamite Road. It's just a barren wasteland of desert and uh, switchbacks through cliffs. And it's, it's, it's a wasteland. But then you get there, and it's this lush, green, golf course, you know, golf course community. And the town is basically one street. On the west side, you get neighborhoods. And on the east, a giant golf course. So, uh, you know, good on you, Marauders Creative Team. Thank you for actually doing your homework. And uh, for once, not depicting the state I live in as like a Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner cartoon. Because that's usually how it looks. I remember, uh, what was it? Um, the Jeff Loeb Nova series, um, where the no, where the kid Nova grew up in Carefree, Arizona, or was living in Carefree, Arizona, which was drawn to look like a, like a real one-horse western wasteland town when Carefree, Arizona is actually very, very, uh, it's a very wealthy, <laughs> it's a very wealthy town. I've done a lot of jobs in there, too. I've, uh, I believe that's where I actually had to patch a uh, Rolls Royce who was up in Cave and in, in Carefree. So I, I do like that Rio Verde was was depicted as Rio Verde, where so often they take the the easy way out of uh, of showing Arizona. Anyway, enough about that. Let's uh, let's talk about the scene the scene we got here. Callisto is there to drop off the Morlocks allowance from Krakoa. Now Mask is annoyed that they're in leagues with the top dwellers or whatever. Kalisto reminds him that the Morlocks actually chose this location, which, hey, as far as locations go, you could do far worse than Rio Verde. She then sinks Mask's putt with her dagger. It was like he, he missed the putt, made the, the ball got right to the cup, and she tossed a dagger, knocked it in. And then she declares the sunk putt as a touchdown. Which is shorthand for, I don't know, sports, right? 
Come on, you could do better than that. Now, Mask asks how Callisto feels about working with a group that has named themselves after the Marauders, which, you know, is a callback to the, uh, the Mutant Massacre. Uh, Callisto shrugs it off, doesn't put too much thought into it. From here, we jump to an info page from the X-Desk, and uh, we learn that they're studying folks who are taking the Krakoan drugs, which is probably a really good idea. Also, we get a snippet from a neighbor review website from sunny Rio Verde, Arizona. And the, the normal folk aren't really getting used to all the new weirdness that abounds, and uh, rightfully so. It's, a, it's an aged community in, uh, in Rio Verde, a lot of, a lot of uh, elders. So I would assume that uh, seeing a bunch of Morlocks walking down the street probably, uh, probably wouldn't, wait, probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't pass the test. Um, we now shift to the Quiet Council, and uh, eh, we got a few people sitting in the wrong seats here. Um, actually, the only correct you know, season of the Council, because the, 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 the Council is broken up into four seasons, uh, the only right one is Emma and Shaw being together. Uh, every other trio is all messed up. Anywho, they've put something to a vote. I guess it doesn't really matter what at this point. But they arrive at a deadlock. Uh, Kitty's not there, of course. And Mr. Sinister has abstained from taking a position. So it's 5-4, five, 5, four, five against whatever they're discussing. Uh, maybe they're picking a new bagel provider. I know that uh, that gets pretty heated when you're in a, when you're in a, like a management group. That, uh, that could be a scary scene. Shaw turns to Emma and comments that it's regrettable that Kitty couldn't make it. Emma, you know, she pretends she knows what's going on. She states that, uh, eh, Kitty just got held up somewhere. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Shaw smiles, and of course he knows far more than he's letting on. And we close out the issue with a fishing boat on Madripoor Bay. And the fishing folks pull their net out of the drink, only to find Lockheed, who may or may not be alive. But that is Marauders number 7. Next episode we'll be talking about Excalibur number 7, but let's talk about what we just read. This was a good issue. Um, It's kind of weird going back to, like, just business as usual here, because (laughs) despite the fact that I really dug this, I enjoyed my time with this issue, I just don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about it. You know, um, we've added a white knight in Callisto, and, you know, that's pretty cool, right? Um, we're moving forward with the ominous Verinde plot, which is also cool. Uh, we had Stefano Caselli art, which, outside of messing up the Quiet Council's seating arrangement, was cool as well. But this was a transitional issue, you know, and as mentioned, it was a darn good one. It unfortunately, however, doesn't lend itself to, uh, much in the way of analysis. Um... It really just is what it is. Uh, we don't get any clarity on the fate of Call Me Kate, but uh, I don't think we needed that just yet. You know, um, I like the way that they're they're playing it close to the vest here. You know, Emma doesn't know what's going on, but she's lying to make it appear as though she does. And sure, he's playing cool and curious despite knowing exactly what went down. It's a, it's a really good scene and a really good use of these characters as well. Um... It's weird. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating here, uh, or shortchanging you, fine listeners here. But uh, I don't know. There's not a whole lot more to say. I think the last thing any of us need is just me talking and vamping for the sake of it. So we'll just put a pin in it for now. It was a good issue, a transitional issue. It's you know we're 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 shifting into the next phase of the story here. We're putting things in place. Just not a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Um, if anybody out there 
has anything to say about this issue, please let me know, um, and uh, we can discuss it. But off the top of my head, it's uh, kind of just an issue. Um, now, speaking of reaching out, we have no mailbag today. Today, I, I woke up to an empty mailbag, so that's a, it's a sad thing, but not totally unexpected. You can't have mail every single day. I probably shouldn't have uh, included so much mail in the previous uh, two episodes, but... Uh, you know, when I, when I get mail, when I get uh, a tweet or a contact, I, uh, I'm very excited to share it. So I, uh, I don't exercise patience very well, but uh, hopefully we'll get some mail in the next couple episodes to, uh, to share. Uh, but instead, in lieu of the mailbag, I do have a little bit of housekeeping to discuss. Today, I spent several hours that I probably should have been studying um, putting together the order for the next... 50-odd episodes of this show, which uh, might be a bit... I don't know, might be putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Uh, but if nothing else, I, I think big, right? Um, while I put together the list of the 50 next episodes, I also created the cover art for the next 20 or so episodes. I think I think I got us up to episode 73. So uh, we got the next 21 episodes. We're all set with, uh, with cover art or album art or whatever you call that. Whatever you call the weird, you know, the thing with the circle and the X that I that I put a picture behind. Um, and I figure that I could share with you all what to expect over the course of the next few months. And I can actually give you, uh, you know, real episode numbers to look forward to. And that is, of course, assuming anybody is looking forward to anything I do. Uh, I'll just pretend. I'll just pretend so I don't, uh, so I don't cry. Um, now, Wolverine is coming very, very soon. We're going to launch Wolverine Volume 7. I can't believe it's Volume 7. That's going to be Episode 58. So this is Episode 52, so not too long from now. That is a big, fat book. So uh, I'm, like, looking forward to it and dreading it. So, But we'll, you know, we'll get there. <laughs> we will. Uh, Cable will get his own series, and that will follow in Episode 64. So also not terribly long from now. Uh, we jump ahead to episode 70, and that's where Hellions will begin. And then episode 85 will kick off X-Factor. Uh, leading into X-Factor, I've decided to put the Empire miniseries uh, in episodes 81 through 84, coming right after, I believe, the coverage of X-Men number 9. I think that's the order that they're in, but uh, we'll get that out of the way the same way we did Fantastic Four, uh, just one clump. Uh, we do have four more of the Giant Size issues to discuss. Now, Giant Size Nightcrawler will be episode 69. Giant Size Magneto, episode 77. Giant Size Phantom X will be episode 88. And then we'll wrap the whole thing up with Giant Size Storm in episode 105. Now, uh, X of Tens. The coverage for X of Tens will begin with episode 109, and that'll be X of Swords creation, or sort of, what is it again? I keep, I've been calling it X of Tens so long, I don't know what the real name is anymore. I think it's X of Swords, so, uh, or Ten of Swords, whatever. X of Tens is what we're calling it. Um, X of Tens creation will be episode 109. Uh, episode 108, we'll look at the free comic book day issue that I believe leads into X of Tens, uh, I flipped through it, and I know there's a lot of tarot card imagery in there, so I'm just assuming that it has something to do with it. Uh, episode 107 is going to be a weird one. Uh, it's a book that I wasn't intending to include on this journey, and that book is Juggernaut Number 1. And it's weird, because just, 
just yesterday as I'm recording this, uh, Evan Bevins reached out to ask if I'd be covering it. And I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, nah, <laughs> no, not covering Juggernaut number one. Because I thought it had nothing to do with Dawn of X. But they included it on the checklist in the back of the Dawn of X books. Which is, you know, that's like Christonite, you know. I, I have to do it now. The completionist in me don't won't allow us to skip it. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be like in the Dawn of X milieu for its entire six issue run, but you know we'll keep an eye out. You know we'll we'll keep a we'll keep an eye out. See if it shows up in any more of the checklists in the back of the books. If it's just the first issue, that's cool. We'll cover it. If it's the whole six issue miniseries, eh, we'll cover that. You know it's not a big deal. Uh, the problem with that is that. Uh, <laughs> I assumed it had nothing to do with Dawn of X, so I didn't order it. So now I'm going to actually have to go out and buy it. And, you know, I had this conversation on one of the social medias over the past few days that uh, it never fails. The book that I, I, I choose to skip, uh, like, it'll always be the, you know, retroactively hot book. You know, so now I'm assuming that, like, like a juggernaut number one will have a single panel cameo of like a, some character that bleeding cool will tell us to like keep an eye out for. So then all the, uh, all the ridiculous speculator apps will have it marked at like $15 or something. And I'll get stuck <laughs> having to pay some crazy price for it or buying a, a penciled covered third print or something. Who knows? Who knows? But, uh, not, not a book I was expecting to cover here. Um, but a book I discovered that we would be when I was uh, going through the uh, the old checklists uh, earlier today when I should have been when I should have been studying. Um, now that's being that Juggernaut story is written by Fabian Niciesa, and I, I like Fabian Niciesa a lot. Um, a lot of my ex fandom is uh, is through Niciesa's work, uh, Niciesa and Lobdell. So I think that'll be pretty cool. I don't have a whole heck of a lot of interest in Juggernaut, um, but hey. You know, that's uh, that's what this show's all about Broadening the horizons And uh, and experiencing things that are that are new and different So, we'll do that And, uh, yeah, that's uh, I guess that's that's all we got today It's a little bit of housekeeping if, uh, if anyone out there has any questions about a particular issue Like, say you really want to know When we're going to discuss Hellions number three Yeah, reach out, you know, hit me up And I'll, I'll let you know uh, when that'll be And, uh, you know, <laughs> what approximate uh <laughs> Group of days you could uh, you could block out for that one. So again, uh, big assumptions on my part, but uh, you got you gotta you gotta think big, right? But that's where we'll leave it for today. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so very very easily. I'm very easy to find on the Twitter machine at Ace Comics and via email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes and stuff at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and we have xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. There's the Facebook group over at 90s X-Men on Facebook where I posted, today I posted a picture from the uh, the Marvel Illustrated Swimsuit parody issue uh, from 1991 that had uh, Boom Boom, you know, old Tabitha What's-Her-Face in a uh, very skimpy bikini. I believe she was probably... About 16 or 17 years old at this point. And behind her, Cable is leering very, very creepily. It's, a, it's quite an image <laughs> that you can see over on 90s X-Men in fa- on Facebook. Uh, Richter is also very excited to see this, which uh, I guess, uh, I guess we, didn't, uh, we didn't decide anything about Richter just yet. So 
there's that if you'd like to see it. Um, you can find the audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. A lot of stuff going on there. A lot of archives there, and uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the works. So keep an eye there if you have any interest in anything I do. And uh, if you've listened for this entire episode, chances are you might. So uh, I thank you for that. Uh, but in, in in all honesty, I do thank everyone for hanging out here today as we get back to X lapsed as usual with uh, you know the main line books here. Uh, it means a lot that you're uh, you're still with me, and I hope that uh, I've earned your listenership moving forward. So uh, I guess that's about all I got to say. Just uh, thank you all so so much, and uh, I will talk to you again as always, real soon. See ya.